Hey, it's great to have everyone here. Um, you know, I had this thought, I had this thought this week as I was praying for the church. You know, we, we could be doing church like this for six months, three, six, nine months. You know, there's all different types of predictions. And something that, I, that was really deep in my heart was, I don't want anyone in our community to think about their faith and think, uh, I'll just put it on pause and then once we get back to church, then I'll start working on it. I really have a deep sense that God is still moving in a, a deep and meaningful way, especially within our church community, that, that God is speaking loud and that God is wanting to speak to you, each and every one of you during this time. You know, I don't think there's such thing as a write-off period for God. I think God uses all seasons in life. And I want you to know that because I don't want you to waste six to nine months just because you're not at church or because the church building is closed for your relationship with God to be on hold because God is not on hold. God is not closed. The building is closed, but the church is not. So please keep that in mind. Um, we're, I'm, I'm really excited about what God's doing in our church already. Um, I think he's pruning. I think he's culling away some of the dead fat. And uh, I think he's really investing into some of the more um, key areas. So that's something I'm excited for. Now, since the beginning of February, uh, we have been studying the book of John. And the book of John is a, a story about a man named Jesus who claims to be the son of God. Now, John doesn't tell us just a story about, it's not a biography of, of Jesus, but John has a very specific purpose. And the purpose is that we would see Jesus, we'd see the life of Jesus, we'd see the ministry of Jesus, and, and we're going to see the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's not that we would just see it, but John tells us to help us to believe it. Believe it, to believe in him. It's not just a factual book, but it's, it's, it's not just to fill our heads, but it's to fill our hearts and transform our lives. And, and it's see, believe, and be saved. And now we're, we're getting to the, the climax of the book, and that's going to be around the Easter weekend. But tonight, we're going to look at the trial of Jesus. The trial of Jesus. And we see this in John 18. Verse 1, and we're going to go all the way into the middle of um, chapter 19. Um, he, just a word of advancement. It's, it's a little bit of a heavy passage. It's a little bit long as well, but we'll do our best to break it down. And really, like, there's a lot of action in this one. So read it, like, as you hear it and as you read it, read it like a story. Read it like a movie. Watch it like a movie. And see all the moving pieces that happened in this trial of Jesus. Okay? I hope you're ready. I'm ready. We're going to go. Uh, chapter 18, verse 1 to 14. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew that place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out 
and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So this is the first part of the arrest of Jesus. Uh, sorry, the first part of the trial of Jesus, which is his um, getting arrested. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. But even though he knew what was going to happen, you've got to imagine how heartbreaking it must have been for Jesus. This is a guy that Jesus handpicked, lived with for three years, ministered to, loved, cared, served, and even washed the feet. And yet after that, to be betrayed by someone so close for 30 lousy silver pieces, how heartbreaking that must have been for Jesus. Now remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So he understands and he would have felt that betrayal just like any one of us. Now, you get this little bit where Peter, the, the, the wild maverick, he, he pulls out a knife and tries to change the status quo of that situation. And he chops the ear off one of the servants. But Jesus tells him, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus goes even further, and he touches the ear of that servant, and the ear is healed again. Now, what's interesting is even in the face of danger, Jesus does two things. Firstly, he honors his father by obeying him. By obeying him. He recognizes that this is what God wanted for him. This is the mission that God has sent him on. So even in that moment, he remains faithful in obedience to God. And secondly, we see that he's still, like he's about to get arrested People have turned up with, with clubs and weapons and still his heart is full of compassion. Now, if it was you and I, we'd be like, Peter, go get the other guys. You know, you take right, I'll take left and done a runner, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. And at the end of that, he pretty much allows himself to be arrested, put in chains and is now sent to trial. Before we read the next part, I want to give you some context on the trial system. Now, the Jewish people, the Israelites, 
were the people of God from the Old Testament. They worshipped in the temple and they had their own leaders and they had their own priests. And they, only, they also had their own customs, laws and restrictions. All Jewish people were bound by these laws. Therefore, if you were a Jew and you disobeyed the law, which is the Torah, which is from the Old Testament, you would be punished. But the Jewish people were living in a land that was run by the Roman Empire. Caesar was the king of Rome, and all lands that were conquered by Caesar were all under the kingship of Rome. So you have to understand that there are two legal systems that are operating at this time. You've got the Jewish legal system that is bound by the Old Testament law, and you've got the Roman legal system that is bound by Rome, by Caesar. So what we find is that Jesus' trial is interesting because he actually goes through two separate trials. The other thing we need to understand is the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders, who are the, the, the priests and the high priests of the temple, and the Roman Empire, it's not like they were friends. It's not like they liked each other, they were working for each other. The, the, the Romans looked down on the Jews because they were subject to their power. The Romans would treat Jews like, like dogs. And because of that, the Jews would hate the Romans because they were being oppressed by this external empire. Now, this is going to be important because sometimes we, we, we just forget that part. We think that the Jews and the Romans, they're all in this together and they're all scratching each other's back. It's not like that. They don't like each other. And so we're going to see Jesus go through two different trials, one under Jewish law because he was a Jew and one under Roman law because the Roman government was the ruling power at the time. So let's, with that context, let's read the next part. Um, Chapter 18, verse uh, 19 to 24. Meanwhile, the high priest, so that's the head of the Jewish um, legal system, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, this is the setting of Jesus' first trial, the Jewish trial. And he stands before the high priest, who is the authority of the Jewish legal system. And the high priest is questioning Jesus. Jesus replies, I've been teaching this whole time. And it's not like I'm teaching in secret. I've been openly teaching in your temple, in your synagogue. And yet, why are you questioning me now? Why don't you ask those that were there? 
Go and get my, go and get the witnesses that would defend me and ask them what I've been teaching and what I've done wrong. (laughs) And what happens is Jesus starts to defend himself, and this other official just turns up and slaps Jesus in the face and says, how dare you speak to the high priest like that? And Jesus replies, he remains calm in verse 24, if I say something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? It's like, dude, why did you hit me? Why did you hit me? Tell me what I did wrong. Tell me what I've done wrong that I'm on trial right now. And if I've done nothing wrong, why did you hit me and why am I on trial? And yet, there is no, there is, there is only accusation that he's, he has done something wrong, but there is actually no proof or evidence that Jesus has done something wrong. And so then, that trial finishes. And Jesus is then sent off to Pilate, who is the head of the Roman legal system in that area. Now, Pilate was like the local governor of the area, kind of like the mayor of the suburbs, but he was given the authority by Rome to govern, judge, and keep the peace in that area. And this is where Jesus is taken for his second trial. This is verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 28 to 32. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus is taken from the Jewish trial over to the Romans. And the Jewish leaders are like, this is a criminal. And Pilate comes out and says, what charges are you bringing against this man? And the, and the Jewish leaders are like, dude, if he wasn't, if he didn't do anything wrong, why would we have brought him? But still to this point, there is no actual charge. There is still no, like, what he did wrong. It, it's still not there. All we see in this uh, conversation is that the Jewish leaders... They have a motive. They have an agenda. They want Jesus executed. That's why they say, we have no right to execute anyone. Because they themselves, they couldn't just go out and kill Jesus because they had no claim on that. They had no charge. And they wanted to push Jesus off to the Romans and say, look, he's a criminal. Why don't you guys just execute him? But we still have not heard of what crime Jesus committed. Verse 33, Pilate then went back into, inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is this your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? 
Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So now the trial becomes a personal conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And Pilate's just trying to work out, what has Jesus done? What charges do they bring Jesus? And he is questioning. He's questioning about what crime, and yet can't find the charge, can't find what Jesus has done wrong. And so he goes back to the Jewish leaders and says, hey, I, I can't find any basis to charge Jesus. I can't work out what he's done so wrong for you to bring him to me. But then he says in verse 39, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, who's Barabbas? Barabbas was a murderous leader who tried to create an uprise against the Roman army. How ironic. How, 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 how interesting that the Jewish leaders would choose this murderous leader, this murderous man who tried to fight, I guess, for them over Jesus, who they still cannot define the charge. The passage continues in chapter 19, and the scene really starts to intensify. I'm going to read 1 to 16, and as I said, just hear it like a movie. Hear, hear the whole story just play out. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorn, a, a, a crown of thorns, and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate says. Do you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, 
You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabba Gabatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. The, G- the Jewish leaders had one motive, one agenda, and they wanted to see Jesus crucified. Along the way in this conversation, it's so ironic. It's so ironic that they would, they would say things like, we have no king but Caesar, and yet really they They're saying that there's only an earthly king that they submit to rather than God himself. They wanted Jesus crucified, the capital punishment of dying on the cross, which was reserved for only the worst criminals. Interestingly, Pilate, the Roman leader, cannot find any base, any basis to crucify Jesus. And so he tries to set Jesus free, which is quite ironic of the whole situation. You've got the Jewish leaders who are meant to be under the authority of God trying to kill the Son of God, and you've got the earthly leader, the Roman, the Roman Empire, the, 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 the governor representing Rome trying to free Jesus. In Pilate's mind, there was no basis But we see the weakness in Pilate's character where he didn't want to deal with the public. He didn't want to deal with all the uprising. And the crowd becomes so loud that Pilate, even against his own personal decision, even against his own personal belief, hands Jesus over to be crucified. And that's where The story ends today. We call this the trial of Jesus, the arrest, the first trial um, with the Jewish leaders, and then the second with the Roman leaders, and finally the decision that is set for Jesus to be crucified on the cross. What's interesting is, in neither of these trials would we say were fair trials. Neither of these trials we would say that Jesus had a chance to defend himself. The Jewish leaders wanted blood. They weren't hearing anything. They just wanted Jesus dead. The Roman leadership, really, they didn't care at the end. Like, so what if one Jewish man dies on the cross? To them, if that's going to keep the peace, if that's going to keep the public happy, then so be it. Neither of these trials were 
were fair. Jesus is, is found guilty of no crime and yet is sentenced to be crucified. In Isaiah 53, verse 7 to 9, it reads, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, not was any deceit in his mouth. Now sometimes we forget this part about the life of Jesus. We see the public ministry of Jesus that we saw. We see the amazing miracles and signs that he did. And then we saw this private ministry of Jesus where he sat in the upper room over the Last Supper and he ministered to his disciples and he loved on them and he washed the feet of these disciples and he prayed for them. And then we usually jump to the gruesome death that Jesus faced on the cross. But we miss this scene. And we miss this idea that that Jesus was an innocent man. And he went through two very biased trials, very unfair trials, where he had no chance and was sentenced to death. Betrayed by one of his closest disciples. Unfairly judged in two different trials. Still innocent and yet sentenced to death on a cross. We need to understand that Jesus was innocent. Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to die on the cross And he's going to die the death of a criminal, someone that has done uh, the worst of worst crimes. And yet he was innocent. We have to feel the injustice in this. We have to somehow, some way, try to understand that this is what Jesus went through. His, his, his pain and his punishment didn't just start when he was up there on the cross, but it started with the betrayal of one of his closest. And he felt all of that, just like any one of us would feel it, because he was fully human and fully man. If you were betrayed by one of your closest friends, how would you feel? If you went to court, an unfair trial, and were sentenced unfairly, how would you feel? I believe that John gives us this story, not just to tell us what happened, but really for us to take a moment and think about what Jesus went through. And of course, this is just the beginning of the pain, because he will go to the cross and die. But John gives us this process For us to realize that the pain and the betrayal that Jesus went through was real. But also, his innocence was real as well. 
Now, usually towards the end of the sermon, there is the, how does this passage apply to me question? And if you go to Bible college, they'll teach you how to end the sermon with good application. What does this passage mean for me? How do I apply this passage in my day-to-day life? But can I tell you, that's one of the problems within even our faith, is it's still too self-centered. It's like when we read the Bible, we ask the question, what does this passage say to me? Rather than ask the question, what is God saying? I'm going to tell you tonight, the application is this. Understand Jesus just that little bit more. Feel what Jesus went through just that little bit more. Understand that the backstory to the death of Jesus, that he, he, not only was he betrayed, not, he, not only was he betrayed, but he went through a, 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 an, an injustice still innocent and yet sentenced to death. This is what Jesus did. This is what he went through. How unfair those moments were. I believe that that's why John shares with us in detail this story. Not just for us to know what happened but for us to take a moment and really think about what Jesus went through, the injustice and the pain leading up to his death. That's the application tonight. You know, there's so much happening in the world right now. And it's so easy for us to be distracted by our circumstances and our situation. Even in tonight's service, I'm sure there's some of you that the service is playing in the background and you're still running around getting dinner together, you know, fighting with the kids, you know, like, you know, having a chat with your mates and whatnot. And, but I think John is, well, I think God through the words of John is, is, is telling us to just pause for a moment. And even though all of this is happening around us, for us to take a moment and really think about what Easter means to you and I. And I think this is a great starting point for us as we begin Passion Week, as we go to early morning prayer, as we reflect on what our lives mean. See, friends, Jesus, we we are not the center of our lives and then the truth of Jesus comes and sticks on the side of us as an option. No, Jesus is in the center. His life and his teachings is in the center and that affects us. That transforms us. And so when we hear about the betrayal and the trial of Jesus, that should affect us. And I think that's what God wants for us at this time. I know, I know that there's a lot happening around. And I know it's so hard to focus on God and what God's done for us through Easter. And that's giving us Jesus, his one and only son. But I believe that that's what God wants for us right now. Take a moment 
to pause. Take a moment to pause and think about Easter. What does it mean? What happened? What does it mean to me? Why did God do that? Why did Jesus die on the cross? And I believe that God is calling us to take this moment to just think about Jesus. So that's how I want to close tonight. That's how I want to close tonight. Instead of taking a moment of prayer, wherever you are, just take a moment of pause. Just pause where you're at. Think about the trial of Jesus that we've gone through today, the betrayal, the two trials, and yet innocent but condemned. What does Easter mean to you? What's this Easter going to mean to you? So wherever you're at, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open. Just take a moment to pause and to think about Jesus. Just to think about Jesus. I'll give you a few moments to do that. And then I'll pray for you.